True Connections is a journey within to discover that you are part of everything. Life can often feel disjointed, but you and I are actually connected to one another, to nature, to animals, and many other ways like your thoughts, intentions, dreams, even your imagination. It's my desire to bring spiritual insight to these true connections so that you can get into the flow of life, receive the things that you want without struggle, and enjoy a more constant level of happiness. I am Weston Jolly, your host. Thank you so much for joining me again today with True Connections. Um, Today we have the pleasure of talking with Marcy. And Marcy, I really want to thank you for being here with us. Thank you for having me, Weston. It's a pleasure to be here, and um, I always enjoy talking to you. (laughs) Thank you. Me too. Um, Perhaps, Marcy, you could give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself, and then we'll kind of segue into that into our theme. Sure, absolutely. So I am a, um, I've been certified, I'll just start with my um, my yoga background. Sure. So I've been certified in yoga um, three times now. Um, I was certified um, in Hatha yoga the first time in prenatal yoga the second time and the third time in, vin- in vinyasa yoga. Um, I do, I am in the entertainment industry. I'm a casting director and I have my own company um, in reality casting. And I was um, doing a yoga certification and um, I think it was last April, I graduated in my vinyasa yoga certification. Um, worked very hard for it, actually. I was going to say, that's a lot and of then, work. You, um, you didn't say just one time. Yeah. You went three different times. And my first thought was, yeah. uh, did you, uh, did you pass, didn't pass the first test? But here, here you're yeah, describing that. I you did. No, I did. I just wanted to. No, the reason I got certified three times is because I just, at one point, I um, was teaching yoga down in Miami, and um, I was running a studio and all of that stuff. And then I moved to L.A., and I was... Um, Actually, I fell into the the entertainment industry, casting actually, and kind of lost my way in regard to the the yoga portion because I wasn't teaching as much. Sure. And then, kind of got that wanted to get back into it and wanted to kind of re up my knowledge. So what I did was I just decided to while I was running my business as a casting director. Um, an entertainment professional, I decided I wanted to go back and um, get a vinyasa yoga certification. So I did that last April okay. um, while I was, you know, doing my business and running my business. Um, but I, as I was getting certified, I think it was three, two weeks after I got uh, I graduated in yoga certification from vinyasa yoga, um, I got diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, wow. I got, yeah, I got diagnosed with um, triple negative breast cancer and ductile um, carcinoma, um, infiltrating ductile carcinoma, and it was a stage one, and it was a grade three. So great, so the, the stages and the grades obviously are, are different, and most people don't know that if you don't oh, please kind of that. know. Yeah. yeah, if you don't know about breast cancer. Um, the stage is, you know, how big the tumor is actually within the breast or actually anywhere in the body. So, and then the grade is how aggressive it is. So a grade, I had a grade three and that was pretty aggressive. Okay. Um, for, you know, what I had in triple negative breast cancer is actually a not estrogen based 
breast cancer. It actually doesn't attach itself to anything. So um, a lot of actually the staggering, it's staggering um, the breast cancer rates around the world for women who are, you know, in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And I happen to be in my 40s and had never had totally healthy, never had any surgeries, um, and I'm in my mid-40s. So I was just shocked with the diagnosis, as you can imagine, because I was very uh, athletic, and or I am very athletic, and I would, you know, run and do Pilates and, and go to um, yoga all the time. And so for me, this is, you know, quite shocking because I would eat healthy and and try and be very conscious about what I, you know, put in my body and sure. and um, that sort of background. So that's kind of my background of where I came from before I got this diagnosis. So, and, and I even had had some friends who were just shaking their head going, I don't understand. You're, you know, you did these yoga certifications, you know, you're always running, you're always working out, you're always, you know, being very healthy. And so, um, it was just a, it was a shock, but, but nonetheless, I'm not, you know, saying that a healthy person, uh, that a healthy, that a healthy person, I can't speak, a healthy person, this can't happen to. So you just, um, and genetically, I didn't have any disposition to, it genetically, I didn't, I, I got the BRCA gene. I mean, I, I went to get tested for the BRCA gene and didn't have it. So again, um, you just, you know, who knows how it, it comes about. No one will ever know. That's a mystery. But that's kind of my background of what happened to me. Incredible. Um, because obviously it sounds like you're just participating in, quote, normal life. As you described yourself, uh, I'll even, if I can say this, a very successful, um, very athletic, uh, certainly a lot of a lot of going on. But you're, you, you obviously have a very strong uh, sense of balance. And um, you were exercising that, and then suddenly it just feels like you just hit the wall with this 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 diagnosis and my question then Marcy is what now I mean when you when you found that information out what was your reaction your feelings your thoughts yeah so my reaction is in, at the at the time Weston I was really feeling at the top of my game I was yeah. feeling in the best physical shape of my life even in the middle 40s um, and I, I was just feeling just on top, you know, I just graduated from those certifications. So um, I, when I got diagnosed, I, I thought to myself, well, this could either be a, a burden or a gift. And right. I chose to see it as a gift and, you know, just get in there and try and research every phase of what I was going through, what I, what I had faced what I was up against, basically. Okay. And so I researched every phase of it, and from the, you know, the uh, double mastectomy, lymph node surgery, reconstruction, chemotherapy, radiation, everything. Um, and I, I chose to do, you know, Western and Eastern medicine combined. Okay. So um, that's kind of where I, you know, like, as far as you don't really know where to turn, basically, because they don't give you, nobody gives you a lot of information. You have to be your own um, teacher, yeah. and you have to teach yourself. And so that's what I did. I got to work, and I researched a lot of the phases and 
and taught myself a lot of what was going on. And um, although the doctors are amazing, they just don't tell you all the information that you want to, that you want, you know, because you want more and more information. And so they don't give you, they give you as much information as they can, but you, you know, you want answers. So you don't know where to turn. So you just, I'm a researcher by nature. So I just kind of, uh, kind of dove in and, and did the research. <laughs> I think that's pretty obvious <laughs> that you went down yeah. to the nth degree. The idea that you chose this to be a gift, Marcy, is really, if I can say, pretty unusual. So what was the, what was the mindset that you chose to see this, um, quote, hardship or this thing that most people call, you know, thing really, really harsh? How is it that you chose to look at this as uh, a gift? Uh, yeah, so I just, you, what you do basically is when you hear this and you're going along in life and, and you feel pretty good about things and things are going kind of your way and you're, you know, healthy, you're feeling healthy and you're feeling good, um, you, you kind of look at it and um, you, you face your mortality. And that's the thing, like, you don't realize how much, you know, because this disease, I mean, it could you know, take it can metastasize. It can take over your body and and whatnot. And I'm just so lucky and grateful and thankful that they found it in an early stage. I was um, I actually went back for a routine checkup. I they had found a, a pea size shaped lump, and I did a biopsy, and it was benign. And then I went back six months later, and they had found something bigger in this, like above the P-shaped. So uh, I was just so grateful that they had found it uh, in time, and it was a stage one, and that wasn't, the tumor wasn't huge, you know, bigger. Um, You know, some people you know, unfortunately aren't as lucky. And so I was just, I think that I just sat in a place in a space of grateful for the fact that, you know, it, it was, you know, in the stage that it was and that I could, it was curable. Sure. And so I dropped down into that and just kind of went into survival mode and did my best to move through it. Marcy, in your in your uh, facing this um, whole thing, and quite shockingly, what would you describe were the um, uh, the points or the places where you gained the most assistance, and that can come from any place that you want to share with a friend, a relative, uh, intimate partner. Um, Sometimes people find that their spiritual beliefs are quite challenged, um, if not invalidated at times such as this. And that seems backwards, um, but that certainly can happen. And other times people who are agnostic um, find something that they weren't necessarily looking for. Um, So anything in that category? Yeah, so I, first of all, I got amazing support from my family and friends, but mostly I got a lot of support from the yoga community that I just uh, worked with. I actually just graduated from the certification. I got a lot. They were so, it was was as though it was a warm blanket. They were very, uh, they just jumped right in when I had, I decided to, I decided to have a double mastectomy. Um, and when I did, they jumped right in and did a meal train for me. And wow. it was just, they were just every day. I did not, there wasn't one day after my surgery that I went 
uh, without support and love and seeing a smiling face every day bring me and my family a meal, which I couldn't get to, I couldn't do, um, because I was, you know, down on my back for a good four or five weeks. So um, it it just, it's amazing what happens when, you know, community really pops up to and the support you have and you don't realize the people they're kind of you know like stars you don't really see them in the sky but you know that they're there so um if that makes any sense but they just came out of just nowhere I mean people from everywhere all walks of all walks of life all chapters of my life um to help me and support me and I think that was the biggest blessing of this and I wouldn't have gotten through without them as well. And they, you know, uh, by nature, I'm, I'm, I'm a positive person by nature. And, and there, when times when I wasn't feeling as positive, they would lift me up. Yes. And so also I I had faith in the universe. I did have, I'm a spiritual person and I did have faith and from a yogic background, yogini, obviously, but I did have faith in the universe. I, the meditation got me through as well. Um, you know, the, the, me, you know, just kind of talking, you know, positive self-talk really helped, uh, a lot of that. Okay. Um, can I ask you a couple questions with regards to the community? Are, are, is this a community that, that you know, everybody in the community or are these people, um, uh, a part of a group and some, some that you know, obviously, and others that were literally coming out of nowhere. Yeah. So literally coming out of nowhere, I, I didn't, I would go to the studio and I would practice and I would meet people and I would see their faces and whatnot. But, uh, I graduated with about, uh, 11 other yoginis, um, and one yogi and, um, they were amazing, but it was the, uh, the other people who I didn't even, the other yoga community within the the studio and the space and whatnot, um, who reached out through all of, you know, the people that I knew and some I formed massively stronger bonds with and connected with because they, they would, they would just be like, I want to come. I want to be, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to bother you, but if you need me, I'm here for you. Uh, what can I do? Um, one gal, I didn't even know she was a nutritionist and she came over and brought food. I didn't really even know her. I knew her through, you know, I would, I would see her kind of in passing as I came into the yoga studio. She was the receptionist, one of the receptionists, but you know, other than that, I didn't know her, but she came over and sat with my family and I, and you know, brought food. And so just people being of service and just just the kindness and amazing mentality of people when you're going through something like that. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable. There are no words to explain it basically less than. Oh, I, I totally agree. In fact, you know that the name of this podcast is True Connections, and, and it's my understanding, and I'll even put it that way, not even a belief, that when we connect on those kinds of levels that you were just describing which, interestingly enough, uh, do happen in some very dramatic instances. And in the last podcast, I was interviewing uh, someone, too, who had cancer and um, actually a personal friend, and I've known him for years. And um, some of the people that uh, he thought would be of support um, wanted to, but, quote, couldn't, which is not 
not uncommon. And then there were other people no. that he barely knew um, or that he had uh, affiliation. By the way, he was very athletic as well. And, um, you know, 20 years had gone by, and these people came out of the woodwork to literally drive an hour to get to him to actually drive him in and out of the, uh, the treatments. And uh, that kind of connection literally makes the hair of my arms just raise because there's a love there that, um, yes. that is, <laughs> I want to get very emotional about it because I can feel it, but it's, it's, it's so significant and it's so surprising when you're in a time of need and, you know, as you're describing this, you don't think that you have that kind of, quote, family or that, those kinds of group, and they're coming from nowhere. And I wanted to share this because sometimes when we're giving in that, that capacity, a lot of times we don't realize the significance of what we're giving. It's not just the food. It's just the thought that someone's thinking in your behalf. Um, and, and certainly the gestures of food or sitting with the family or just being quiet to listen and, or hold someone's hand um, when they're having a really, really tough time. Even when, Marcy, clearly you're a very, very strong person. Um, in all categories, that's emotionally and certainly physically and from a spiritual perspective as well. And, and yet even someone as strong as yourself, clearly you come to a point where you wonder, um, you know, if we can get to the bathroom and back. And you know what I mean by that, but just some basic mm-hmm. stuff of just trying to uh, kind of exist. And then having this kind of support is, as you described a moment ago, just unspeakable. Right. Well, I I feel that um, you know some uh, there's two things in what you were saying. One is some people don't or can't do it, and that's okay. They don't. I mean, you know, for for whatever, maybe their sister or brother or somebody went through cancer, and they just they can't relive the pain. Sure. Or you know, and and that's okay. And I realized that some of those people who I thought were going to be there couldn't be there like your friend who you were talking about just now couldn't be there maybe because they already went through a pain with cancer and there's triggers that happen oh, and come bet. up for them. And, and, and maybe, and maybe that, you know, that's happening from that and that's okay. Um, and then, um, you know, it, it, the other thing is, is that everybody and I know that this is common sense, but it is so very true. And a lot of people, um, you know, I think kind of get caught up in society and what's happening with them and, and everything like that. I call it the McDonald's of society. Like everybody <laughs> wants it fast and whatever. Right. But every single person that you meet, I don't care who it is, has a struggle. They're struggling with something. So um, with that being said, if they're struggling with something, you know, they often, I had people come to me and they would say, well, you know, I'm dealing with this, but not as bad as what you've dealt with. And I go, well, but you have a struggle. So everybody has a struggle. Uh, So your struggle isn't smaller than anybody else's. It's yours, and it's something that you need to embrace and, you know, work through. So, uh, yeah, I would get that a lot. I would get, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I don't want to burden you with this because you're going through breast cancer. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I, you know, I'd love to listen because that would probably get my mind off of what I'm thinking about. Sure, sure. <laughs> at that time. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to help. So, you know, it, 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 I want to be of service as well. It's interesting that you say that because um, that piece is really how we make the flip. Um, 
it's mm-hmm. not just uh, sitting before a television set and being distracted by whatever's being broadcast at us. Uh, no offense to your industry, <laughs> but but no, but, none taken. But, 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 I mean, <laughs> but, but, but it's literally um, allowing yourself to uh, engage. And I have found that sometimes when you're at the lowest of the lowest, I'm speaking of my own self, and certainly in observation of others, that when when we go to um, listen and participate, and then even begin to um, contribute, it has a lot to do with how suddenly we start to feel um, better. And when, I think of like an ebb and a flow where we're um, passing back and forth. And so what was my weakness is, thank God, your strength. Um, and and we, we trade energetically through conversation, through dialogue, and all kinds of cool things. And it's not... It's not a, um, a woe is me thing in terms of, you know, who can get the most points for how big the struggles are. It's more of let me help you um, in whatever, whatever way that's best for you. Forget, forget me, meaning what can I do for you that would really, really um, uh, take you to a new level for, for the moment, uh, for the day, for the afternoon, perhaps for the rest of your life, um, not with an intention to try and um, get something for that exchange, but rather just to right. exchange at that kind of level. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. It's, um, well stated. It's mm-hmm. really, really cool. What would it's you th- very cool, yeah. What would you say, Marcy, that was uh, one of the biggest things that you pulled um, from this experience, uh, from a learning curve, and whatever category that might end up. Well, that we're we're not invincible. We get to a point, I think, where we have we get to. Not that I thought I mean, you think that you are invincible when you're when you're in your twenty. Sure. <laughs> and um, like nothing can bring you down or anything. But then, you know. Life is going amazing, and you should celebrate that. But nobody is nobody is clear from from how, like health issues are so super prevalent. And as you get older, um, nobody's really clear. And I, I, you know, back in the day when people would say, "Oh, you just wait till you get older. You just wait till you get older." I'm like, yeah, no, I, I get it, but you don't really get it until you get you know, a little bit into your forties and then you're like, stuff is going south. Shit is happening. (laughs) Stuff is just falling everywhere. And you're just like, well, another man down, what's happening there? You know? So, I mean, I think that that's not my overall moral of my story or my life lesson. Um, I think that, uh, you know, life is, you really have to seize every moment. You really, I always say my huge motto is um, life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. And I truly believe that. And that was a quote by Helen Keller. I I just believe that that is so true. So if you have a choice, you know, between, you know, I, I feel that, you know, buy the dress, eat the cake, you know, go on that travel trip. Don't wait do things that sometimes when you're waiting for them, the day never comes. And so I know it's so passe to say this because it's so cliche, but it's very, very, very true. And I think that might have been a huge, one of the the lessons that I learned is I was waiting, waiting, waiting for stuff to happen. And you have to kind of take the bull by the horns and you have to do it on your own and, and get out there and, and go for it. And so I think that's one of the key life lessons that I learned from this whole diagnosis. And, um, yeah. That, that's incredible. Um, 
obviously, um, when you say life is a daring adventure, you know, most of us don't think of that as in, um, in the idea that we might fall, right? Getting on a skateboard and right. falling off or climbing or, you know, mm-hmm. surfing or skiing or whatever. And, and I'm, these are, quote, unquote, athletic things, but obviously just yeah. going through life and then suddenly finding out that you're having to deal with something that wasn't on your, your plate, you know, 10 minutes ago. And those, those are, like right. I said, those are shocking things. But I think there's a lot of significance in your reflection that, uh, I'm going to somewhat paraphrase, of being really present. And, yes. And not, I think it's of the because word... Because it's a, it's a speed bump in the road of life. You know, you, I mean, the doctors that I talk to, even some of the doctors who are friends of mine that I talk to, the, the way that they would, it was just, it's just as though, you know, it's, it's another day. It's another day, and and one of my friends was like, "Oh yeah, this is just a speed bump because you, you're going to get right back on your feet." Right. Like they were certain about it, and so you're just you're baffled by hearing this from them, you know, because they see this stuff every single day, and you don't realize, you know, if you're not in the medical profession, you don't realize this, but they see this, so it's so normal to them. But it's so you know mountain is to you. Uh, that's not even a word i don't think but it's such a mountain it's such a mountain to you which sure. you don't think that you can climb and you're looking at it going you know how do they even handle it too but they do and so it is a speed bump in the in the road of life so i sorry i didn't mean to interrupt. no you didn't um it's it's actually uh you know tying perfectly what i was thinking because i do see uh probably a lot more of this than the layperson in different industries, but I'm certainly not in the medical community. Um, but the the point really is about being present. And and mm-hmm. I think of the word carpe diem as a phrase, and that mm-hmm. we, we literally just literally have to seize that moment. And, and I'm with you that we don't want to wait or procrastinate or um, say that we can't do whatever we can or want to do because of and fill in the, the line of blank, which is usually lack-based thinking. Um, to not living. And so celebrating life, um, to me, is something that we can do at the end, even when we're literally finishing this, this path physically. Um, but and, and if we hit, quote-unquote, a speed bump, and I can't say that this is just a speed bump. I mean, this is something much more significant than that in the idea that um, it's life-threatening, there's pieces of your body that were um, removed, and, and, yes. and, and clearly um, it, it alters... Uh, you know, what we had before. I mean, if someone took two, two fingers off of my ten fingers that I have, um, I, I would be irritated, if not really upset about that, even angry to some degree. Then at one point, right. like, yeah, but I had ten fingers for a long period of time, and <laughs> let's see what we can do with eight, you know. And, and, right, and which I, I didn't mean to minimize it at all. It was a bear and a beast. I mean, this is not something that I just want you to think that you can, you know, like it's a breeze through type of situation. So it, it was very unbelievable. Like when you're talking about getting a mind screwing, mind fucking, whatever, yeah. it was, it's a beast. It yeah. is a beast. You know, I, I don't want to minimize it in any way. I'm just saying that when you get, when somebody gets diagnosed with, 
you know, um, uh, my point is, is that I was I was actually watching this is Sarah last night on TV, and she was diagnosed with you know anal cancer, and she always believed that she was going to move forward and she was going to beat this, and that's what I'm trying to say. It's the mentality that you have of moving forward and you will beat this, and keep in that space of being positive every day because, every, you know, about your struggle and being positive and how, di- how you know, it was so difficult, obviously, for her, um, but she had these little wins along her her um, journey, you know, where the tumors were gone and, and she, you know, felt some, you know, some lift, you know, there was a lift of, you know, oh, I'm finally going to get through this, but I think that's what my, my main you know, thing is, is that I, I don't want to minimize this, but I want you to know that it's, it's, you know, you can, it's a positivity thing about you can get through it. It's really true. Um, years and years ago, I had the pleasure of, um, uh, I'll say collaborating with Louise Hay, um, but this is before I had any belief system at all that was anything close to what she was talking about. And, of course, if you know about her background, she had cancer, and she was dealing with that and, of course, wrote about it, and she had this transformation, and, of course, she shared that. And, of course, we have Hay House um, as a result of that. Now, she's since yeah. passed, but the 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 all the emphasis that you, you saw in this woman um, basically was placed upon life and and from an empowered perspective, instead of life, you know, how sometimes it can become perceived as a burden or we, we hear this language a lot where I didn't have a choice. We always have a choice. And that's something that you said <laughs> very quickly, but I kind of want to circle back to the very beginning um, when you talked about it being a, a burden versus a gift. And you <laughs> made that decision very quickly, and which is very um, respectful of you as the person, Marcy. But clearly a lot of people are challenged with that, 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 that initial decision to uh, go to war with something which you really don't want to go to war with because we don't want to continue to create more of what we're really dealing with. And that's that sounds funny, um, but literally it's, it's a lot of allowing yourself to get on board with, okay, we're dealing with, with something that we don't have all the answers to, and I'm appealing even to your intellect because you're extremely bright. And the idea that all of this research, meaning if you, even if you became a doctor in nine months, which probably you didn't do any more than I did, but you become a lot more informed, but it doesn't necessarily offer you every corner of knowing why this you know, happened to be on your plate. And at one point, you have to set that aside um, quite quickly, actually, to say, okay, it doesn't really matter uh, beyond um, making sure that we're not doing anything, and that would be um, physically, environmentally, certainly what we're thinking, and even spiritually, to uh, recreate something that we are having to deal with in the moment. And that's uh, that's incredible. Correct, yes. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's been, I mean, I, I, I look back and I think to myself, how did I do three surgeries, chemotherapy, um, in that, and this all in reconstruct well three surgeries yeah in th- in nine months nine months in nine months pretty wow. much wow. yeah and so that that that's a lot and me not having any surgeries before my that. whole entire life yeah. yeah except for when I was you know maybe three I had a, a ruptured appendix and you know almost didn't make it then but but that you know that was when I was three but. Uh, but getting through life, you know, um, without having any surgeries 
is crazy, you know, and then all of a sudden you have three and like an intense, intense year, you, you really start to obviously re look at what's happening at your, in your life. And, and again, facing your mortality and everybody that I talked to at that time, I was also speaking to a lot of people um, that were diagnosed with cancer in general, but breast cancer specifically. And I do go back and talk to them and we all just say, you stare death in the face, you, st- you stare at your mortality, and you think to myself, yourself, what is happening? And it's so surreal. It's such a surreal thing, and that's what it really, I think, a lot of, if you talk to any cancer survivor, cancer patient, that's what they're, the number one thing that they're going through. I agree. Um, you know, I, I think that's... Uh, um huge in terms of being able to identify that. And, and Marcy, I, I do want to recognize this. You, you sometimes are a little slippery with <laughs> what, how you say the things that you say, but your uh, enormity in giving back is unbelievable. Now, I don't know all of that from a physical perspective, um, but I do because of my my gifts that I do have and quite are quite strong. That your choice to um, continue to give back, as you said, a lot of people can't um, because of an experience, because of somebody else, or death at large. And and I'm glad that you said what you said because I too don't think that anybody should be pushed into do something that they they can't feel good about doing. That would be the opposite. So honoring that you are in a position to be able to give back and do so. Lovingly, heartfeltly, um, again, as we were describing when you were the recipient, but, um, in this in this way that is uh, touching people on in ways that probably you don't even know to the degree that you're touching them is beyond cool, and it's certainly worthy of um, me surrounding you with some bright yellow ink to to say thank you um, for those contributions yeah. that you have been doing and are continuing to do. Thank you, Weston. That's very sweet. I'm, I'm, I, it's very lovely that you said that. I appreciate you so much. Um, I, I am here for anybody who, you know, is been recently diagnosed and doesn't know kind of where to turn um, because the doctors don't have all the answers. And I'm happy to talk to, you know, anybody that's kind of in the same situation that I was in a year ago around this time being diagnosed with um, triple negative breast cancer. So I'm happy to, you know, speak to anybody if they need, if they need me, I want to be of service. And you are. And I I want to say one more thing before we close. I know that um, the kind of cancer that, that obviously was something that you had to deal with is very much um, targeted to the one gender, and I I do know that, and I'm not polarizing gender in terms of male versus female, but there's a sensitivity in the feminine world, um, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm saying this because the women, of course, know, <laughs> but but a lot of the men don't, and um, there's a sensitivity in the feminine world that is just unspeakable in terms of the the depths of love and support that can be offered. Um, women to women, women to other people that um, you just don't see in other places. And I I think it's a remarkable thing to uh, see 
you offering that to other women, of course. And I know that's not limited to uh, that gender, of course, but rather to, no, it's not to both sides. No. But but it's it's an incredible uh, thing that again, um, some of the other side. Uh, I'm speaking of the males, may or may not be developed enough, if I can use that term, and um, it, it creates a, a softness and even a direction and a, and a very strong strength. I think that you know that, but you can feel within your own self, uh, a strength of a purpose in terms of where we're going to go, even if we don't know what that looks like, you know, two months or three months or six months from now. Right. Correct. Yeah. I, I'm, I, everything that you said, I mean, we're all, I feel like I've always been on this kind of center synergy with you and on the same page. So yes, you took the words right out of my mouth. Correct. <laughs> I didn't mean <laughs> yes, to do that. I don't, to, I don't need to say it. No, I don't need to say anything else. I mean, you did it. Yeah. Well, Marcy, I know that we're yeah. closing on time here, but I just want to thank you so yeah. much for your contribution and certainly your availability to, uh, take away from your very busy schedule and to make this contribution, I, for one, am deeply touched, and I know that many uh, others will be as well. So, again, on a very personal level, thank you so much. Thank you, Weston. It was a pleasure to talk to you this morning, and um, I so appreciate you, and I appreciate you doing this, and thank you for getting the word out, and um, you're just a blessing. You're such a great person. (laughs) Thank you. Well, thank you. I think the same of you very much, too. Thank you. Hello again, and now we're to the fun part, where we're going to talk very specifically about the 15 things death and dying can teach us about life. Number one, death isn't the end. It's the beginning. It's where you and I are returned back to our original form. Interestingly, you are enlightened. This concept is commonly misunderstood or backwards for most people. Let me explain why. A lot of people think of death as a time where they become enlightened. The soul that returns to source offers its enlightenment to the whole. Thus, every experience is processed as unique, expansive, and beautiful. And ultimately, it is true that further aspects of enlightenment are returned to you, the individual soul, in concert to all the lives that have been lived and are living in this world. 2. Death is a portal to life. Death is returning home. Matter can never really be alive. Even your body, which seems to represent life, is dead. It's always been dead. It appears to be alive in the illusion of life through source and source energy. When death occurs, it's the end of a cycle, and at the same time as death is the beginning of life. Life and death are continuous in how they begin and end. We see this as the sun rises only to set with the rise of the moon. When the moon sets, the sun rises. 3. The most important thing about dying is it teaches us the opportunity to be present. If someone is dying because of a disease, you'll notice that their body starts shutting down in areas and even whole subsystems of the body based upon priority. The body turns off less critical bodily systems in an effort to preserve itself. As an example, breath is more important than digesting a meal. (laughs) Maintaining the rhythm of your heart is more important than a broken arm. A dying person will not worry about his or her indebtedness because it's not materially important to the body. This lesson in death is how we might become super focused or super present. Death offers us an incredible opportunity to be focused. It's really simple. You're either going to be thinking of how you might continue to live or you're going to begin to open the portal to death.
The opportunity to be present is a time that all things unimportant are put aside as your mortality comes to an end, allowing you to focus on the change that awaits you through death. 4. Forgiveness is easy when you're about to die. As we just talked about in the last point, dying removes all the distractions and it provides for clarity in allowing you to be very present. When it comes to letting go of anything that you haven't forgiven, you simply don't have the time, energy, or the wherewithal to continue thinking about whom you haven't forgiven. It's that simple. Forgiveness isn't a priority. As I just got through speaking, you're going to be putting all of your energy in your choice to either continue living or address facing death. Forgiveness is a non-issue. Once you die, you may deal with the burdens that you created in not forgiving yourself for this, that, and the other things, but even during your life review, you're unlikely to find forgiveness a sticky point. It just won't matter anymore. 5. Those who have faced death almost always learn that they can do something way beyond what they thought they could do. You've heard this stated repeatedly by all three of the people we've talked to during these interviews. I think it's fair to say that Adam never thought that he could do the things that he's already done in his fight to stay alive. Go back and listen to the first episode of 15 Things Death and Dying Can Teach Us About Life and listen carefully to the list of health issues Adam has faced since his late 20s. Robert was told he was going to die, and then it's like the doctor called him back and said, Hey, wait, there's the slimmest chance that you might make it. To be fair, this isn't what the doctor said, but in that moment, Robert was focused on the slimmest chance of surviving. What he had to do to get there was inconceivable, but he did it. He overcame things he never thought he could do. Marcy was the same way. She had never undergone a surgical procedure before and enjoyed abundant health only to face three surgeries in a single year. I should also bring forth that there are depths of emotional and aspects of yourself that you may have never known that you had until you face death. Six, not everybody can face death, even yours. You should expect this. Before we started this series, 15 Things Death and Dying Can Teach Us About Life, together you probably had established thoughts and beliefs surrounding death. At the very least, I and the others that I've interviewed, I hope that your mind has been expanded discussing this topic. If it hasn't, then you probably skipped all four episodes of this miniseries. Anyone not listening because they don't want to face death, or even their own death, is to be honored. Obviously, there will be a day or a time when death does have to be addressed. Yet, we've learned so much in repeatedly hearing that we don't need to fear death. How does this affect our living? If you remove fear most likely the biggest obstacle to your living, then you're free to expand and to really express. 7. You may be surprised by the people that show up to support you. And it may not always include the people that you think will be there. This is a lot like having a birthday party. There's always going to be the expectation that the closest of your friends will show up. But as you die, you may find that these same people who would be first in line at your party, can't make it. I want to be clear about this point. Those who appear not to be able to offer you their support at this time are confronted with their own mortality. Unfortunately, this creates a complex series of choices for anyone who wants to offer you their support, but they can't because of their own fears or beliefs. 
You'll find that the people who can't come at the end will be replaced by individuals that you might have never considered in their choice to come offer you love and compassion. This may be really heightened by people you don't even know who are offering you deep, intimate support during your most vulnerable time. These strangers are the ones that will knock you for a loop in honor of what they're giving to you. If you remember, it was the yoga community that offered Marcy so much love and support. There were many people that Marcy barely knew, or she didn't know at all, who came out of the woodwork to offer her real love. With Robert, it was the same thing, when some of his friends from decades ago suddenly came forward to offer him extraordinary backing. How does this relate to your living today? Every time you offer someone real love, especially as a stranger, you'll find that these moments are exceedingly precious. Try it. Go out and really do something that is wildly outside of whatever you've done before with someone that you have no relationship with, and see for yourself what comes with such an experience. 8. Death teaches us how to love more. There is no greater lesson than offering our compassion for one another. This is the singular thing that you notice most near the end. The fear goes away and there's a purity and focus and even spirit to love in ways that may have never been previously expressed. Individual passengers aboard United Airlines Flight 93 that crashed in Pennsylvania during the day of 9-11 didn't call their loved ones to convey anything but love. It was the only thing that they were thinking of. Because when you face death, even sitting next to a stranger, there's an instant bond that is created as a result of the experience. In the HBO documentary Band of Brothers, men facing the depths of hell and war bond in ways that seem inconceivable. There's an intimacy in facing death with another. As one passenger of Captain Sully's Miracle on the Hudson said, quote, I don't think there are words of gratitude when you realize the fragile nature of life. End quote. 9. Talking about death does not mean that you're going to die. This seems silly, but so is any superstition. There's no correlation that you're talking about death is going to put you on the path to your own funeral. It is common, quite common, for people to avoid talking about death, but this is the point. It shouldn't be. Death is unavoidable, and those who confront it are often liberated. Those who cheat death find that there's something in that space, not just rehearse or talk about it as a close call, but the space of wondering if this is the time. This is also true for those who know that they are going to die. In interviewing Adam, you can't help but feel the strength and courage as he faces his own death. It's a completely different matter to stand up publicly during this time of your life and share your thoughts as Adam did. Really, consider this in thinking about Adam's interview. Would you want to be interviewed publicly for a podcast, or for that matter, go on to a television show knowing that you're dying? The answer is really clear. It's very rare. And when I say very rare, I mean exceedingly rare. For you see, Adam, Robert, Marcy have been candidly open in sharing their personal health trials, and it's exceptionally uncommon. To put this into proportion... Lori perfectly described assisting a burly Irish firefighter who could not talk of his death even when he laid less than 100 pounds and was in hospice care for months. 
Instead of you avoiding talking about death, we can see the love and the compassion by all the people that were interviewed to give you something. Does this make sense? Every one of our interviewers came forth putting away their own fears to be in front of the room to speak and do so boldly. The only reason, the only reason that each of these individuals did what they did was to offer you something about their own journey. In essence, they wanted to offer you love, understanding, and compassion so it would make it easier for you. If you think about that and really dwell upon the intimacy of those that have been so kind to participate in this interview, it's hard to keep your eyes dry. I love that. And every person that has given and shared of themselves in this way, I want to say personally, thank you. 10. Most people spend more time planning a vacation than telling those intimately around them how they want to die. Yep, Lori did a wonderful job of bringing this to our attention. I know of at least one couple that stopped the last podcast and immediately began discussing their wishes about how they wanted to die. Since we're all in this intimate space, you might as well hear my wishes about how I want to die. I don't want a funeral. I don't want to be buried, but rather cremated. Whatever or whomever would participate in letting go of my ashes, I hope that they will immediately forget my body. I do hope that the things I've shared or done will be remembered in the context of me being just another man, imperfect in all of my ways. But I do hope and put forth with every breath that I might make a difference, that I might inspire you to life. For me, that's worth living. I hope it makes a marked impression to connect within the highest aspects of source that you and others might be fully aware and filled with the freedom that this same truth offers you. I feel so passionate about this that I can think of nothing else to do with my energy or my time. I hope you find time to talk about how you want to live too. I also hope that you can let go of any fears associated with your dying. As you can see, all of this fear is a waste of our precious time. 11. Someone telling you that you're going to die may not be the truth. This happens. I've done it. I've told a person that she would die, and she didn't. I've also told many people that they would die, and they did. There's a reason for this, and it's called free will choice. I will address this further in our last point in discussing 15 things death and dying can teach us about life. If a doctor tells you that you're going to die and he or she is wrong, consider it an opportunity. Maybe it was a miracle that the issues before you subsided temporarily or completely, but to live, you must be going forward. That's what life is, isn't it? Going forward. So if somebody tells you that you're going to die and they're wrong, go on and live, not in anger for the possible error in the communication, but in appreciation that your time here is limited. 12. Ignoring the fact that you're going to die doesn't make it easier for anyone to live, especially you. I shared this before with you in the podcast about life reviews that I knew and befriended Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the author of the famous book, Death and Dying. Elizabeth knew she was dying. She was being professionally cared for when I met her. Perhaps this is why our paths crossed when they did. I wanted to offer her further understanding of what she was facing on the other side. My contribution wasn't scientific, but it was totally spiritual. 
There was a rebuffing here and there to the things I shared with Elizabeth on her way to death, but deep within, I could tell that she knew that I stood as a lighthouse for truth, only to illuminate the way. In the end, you could see the childlike eyes of a woman, a strong woman, who had stood up and contributed in an era when it wasn't easy for women to be seen or noticed. I'm especially glad that she chose me, on some level, to participate with her and to offer her the same loving consideration that she'd been so brave to stand up for and offer the world. I'm in awe in remembering Elizabeth. You being more comfortable about death as a whole will indeed contribute significantly to your living now. There's no greater contribution as I see it. The more you live, the more that we all benefit. And I know that makes a marked difference to the whole. This too is why I'm encouraged to talk about death and when you're ready to talk about life. 13. Wanting to die or coming to a place where you don't want to live any longer isn't a sin. This is a biggie. There are a lot of views, perspectives, and beliefs surrounding death. These perspectives don't need to be reviewed because this will all be done in your individual life review. But it is important that dying in any form isn't bad or wrong. This is the point. Even the most devout in their faith can wonder if they're doing something wrong by giving up. If you listen again to Adam in our first interview, you'll hear it in his voice and his words. Once you make a decision to let go, everything becomes so much easier. This too was emphasized by Lori, that letting go shouldn't be considered anything but human. While your body is designed to preserve itself by all measures possible, this is the time where there's nothing to preserve. There's a beauty in your letting go versus holding on. 14. Most people find comfort in their beliefs when death is imminent. This is true for some, and then for others, it's a time of change. For Constantine, the first Roman emperor, it was a time he renounced his beliefs in consideration for another set of beliefs. My only point here is to be connected to what feels best for you. If this is a time to change your beliefs, so be it. If your beliefs strengthen and assist you in the end, then pursue it. Whatever helps you to be further connected is encouraged. In one sense, this doesn't need to be said. What does is, is that many find extreme comfort in embracing their beliefs as they die. 15. Souls can die at various checkout times. This is something that wasn't discussed during our interviews, but I wanted to share it here. As a physical being, there may be several windows for you to die. For example, when I was a senior in college, my brother was driving us back from Las Vegas. It was very early in the morning, and he fell asleep at the wheel. We nearly had a collision with a car on a two-way road. It was a window of opportunity for both of us to die. Instead, we both walked away, hardly a scratch, even though the car flipped several times after a near miss with an oncoming car. The car was completely totaled. Both my brother and I decided to stay. It was a momentous event that changed how I would live. Okay, I know I promised you 15 things death and dying can teach us about life, but I want to leave you with one extra. 16. It's normal to grieve a death, even if it's your own. When someone dies, even though you might have given all the time in the world to prepare for this death, it's still likely you're going to grieve. 
Grief isn't unusual as much as it should be expected. Grieving for someone near to you is normal, but I bet you've never thought that you might grieve of your own passing. If you're given time before you're departing in this life, it might be a step in the process that you experience in the beginning. Towards the end of your life, you won't be focused on grief. However, some souls do have some grief-like emotions when they pass. During the life review, there can be a tendency to get stuck a little, and afterlife grief is normally quite short. It isn't that big a deal, because at one point you move on, but I thought I should mention it. In conclusion of our 15 Things Death and Dying Can Teach Us About Life series, there is so much more that we can learn about life. I'd love to hear your stories and comments. Certainly, I hope you consider sharing true connections with Weston Jolly because everything that you're experiencing can and greatly assist others. With your continued honor for your presence in sharing everything, and with special acknowledgement to Adam, Robert, Lori, and Marcy for their very personal contributions, and of course you for listening, sharing, and again, everything that you express and contribute. For us to make true connections, we have to engage. I really want to hear your comments, so please leave a review at westonjolly.com forward slash review or go to iTunes and give me your thoughts there. This helps our connection and it's a tremendous help to others too. Everything we do is designed to offer you a deeper spiritual connection within. You can also make a personal appointment with me, Weston Jolly, right now by going to westonjolly.com. Also, check out my current events, books, and other products. Also, my free newsletter. Thank you for joining me, Weston Jolly, for my podcast, True Connections.